Some of you may know I'm about to reference, but those who don't, there's a movie called Any Given Sunday, and there's a speech in it, a legendary speech by Al Pacino, where he talks about how football is a game of inches, where the margin for error is so small, and he could not be any more correct, because this is something we saw on Saturday night. You know, Never in my life have I seen a kick at the top of the field goal post. I've seen kicks hit the right upright, bounce hit the crossbar, and then it hit the left upright. I've seen kicks hit close to the top of the upright, but that ball could have hit the top upright. It could have gone down left and in. It could have gone down right. It could have gone straight down, but instead that thing bounced straight up in the air and felt like an hour went by before it ever came down and hit the turf. And this loss flat out hurt. It freaking hurt. And it hurt a lot worse than our first loss last year because we all know it and A&M fans know it just as well and Jimbo Fisher knows it in his freaking heart that Arkansas was a better team on Saturday night. And yes, it's sad that we lost. But to justify why this loss hurts more than others is because you know we aren't used to losing anymore. This isn't the same culture that was here two, three years ago where if we had a close loss, it was almost considered a win, where there wasn't a winning culture around the university and there wasn't any positive signs of one starting. But this was our second loss in our last 11 games. And our first loss since November 2021 at Alabama. It's been a long time since we've experienced this feeling. But you know, the season's not over by any means. We're 3-1, and one, halfway to being bowl eligible for the third straight season. And we have at least eight more opportunities to prove to the country how real our program is. Welcome back to Views from the Hill, Episode 7. In this podcast, we provide all information vital to the greatest collegiate athletic program in the country. We all know it. I know it. You know it. Top two, not two. In this podcast, we preview and recap weekly matchups, provide recruiting news and updates on professional hogs across whatever sport it is that you may follow. Like we've talked about it before, Sam Pittman has raised the standards of this program, you know, and we expect to win games like Saturday night, and I still expect to win come this Saturday. In past seasons from about, what was it, 2013 to 2018, we were competitive in probably 75% of the games we play in, I'd say, maybe a little bit more. But and we played the Blue Bloods like Bama, Georgia, LSU, Florida, Auburn, etc. We weren't competitive against those teams. We flat out weren't competitive. And sure, we beat Florida back in, what, 2016. That was the only time we'd ever beat them in SEC play. But other than that, we weren't competitive against those teams and like I said earlier we were happy with a close loss but shit's different now Sam Pittman has changed this culture shit is different there's not a single team that we can't compete with and last year at Bama showed just that but there are three words that can absolutely cure everything and it's simple and it speaks so many volumes just win Saturday that's it I believe the Hogs have what it takes to beat Alabama and you should too why that is let's get to my view on it All right, this week's episode isn't going to be like prior week's episode where we do where Peyton was right, where Peyton was wrong, or views from the hill hierarchy, or betting plays of the weekend. We're not doing that crap this week. We're getting right into it. 
We just came off a loss. No one's happy. We're already looking forward to Bama. You know, first off, the bias in rankings and how bad the AP poll wants the Blue Buds to be good is so frustrating. And it's bullshit, to be honest with you. Excuse my language. Hogs dropped from 10th in the AP poll to 20th after losing to a team that was ranked 23rd in the country on a neutral site in a game where we weren't even favored. And OU gets 41 hung on them at home to an unranked Kansas State team that lost to Tulane the week before 17-10, to and they only fall to 11. That is some straight-up bull crap. Now for what really matters. This is a message to Hog fans because you all are ungrateful and you piss me off sometimes. Yes, the loss stung enough as it was, but I'm more disgusted about how you guys, or not you guys, but about 75% of fans out there handled this loss. It's one loss. We had too damn spoiled for a fan base that went through what we did for years under Morris and Bielma. This team's ready for adversity, and I believe we're going to show it on Saturday. And I'm mainly just talking to emotional and thumb warriors and Twitter-happy Hawk fans out there on social media, I don't care how well you know the game or not, but firing Kendall Browse or Barry Odom solves literally nothing. Literally nothing. And it'd be the worst thing for this football for this football team and the program itself. You know, after what we went through for four years before Pittman, we saw coordinators come and go here that couldn't ever retain the position they had here at another school. I'll give you all a couple of examples. We got John Chavis, defensive coordinator to middle school volunteer. I hate even saying that he was our defensive coordinator, and he's now a middle school volunteer. I don't care how old he is. Dan Enos, don't even know where he's at. Joe Craddock. Joe Craddock shouldn't be allowed near a football field anymore. And then, hell, you could take our head coach, for example. The only position he's retained since his head coaching job that is a head coaching job was at Allen High School, and he somehow managed to screw that up too. Now he's a freaking analyst. And he was our head coach, what, four years ago? LOL. And also some of Chad Morris' coaching staff Straight up went into hiding. I don't even know if half of them even coach anymore. Browns will more than likely be a head coach one day. That says all it needs to. I mean, our offense in the past two years, and hell, even in Browns year one, it's been more lethal and dynamic than it has in over a decade. We've, we've done things offensively that we really haven't done since Petrino. And our offense has essentially kept us in almost every game. Yes, does he have play calls that make us scratch our head? Absolutely. Does he make mistakes? Absolutely. But who cares? He's the, he's the best man for the job, and I'm extremely thankful to have him as an offensive coordinator. And outside of being an offensive coordinator, he's one hell of a quarterback coach. I mean, y'all seen KJ's development from when he got here to now. I'm glad Chad Morris didn't get a hold of him because he probably wouldn't even be here anymore. KJ's development as a passer, leaps and bounds, improved year after year he's been in the program. KJ can throw deep balls. He can, you know, he, he's just evolved into such a great passer for us, and he's become one of the most efficient passers in the country. And if Browse is so bad, sure, do y'all want to go back to having Joe Craddock call plays? You know, bringing our wide receivers in motion and then running into our running back, trying to run a speed sweep in the backfield. Y'all remember, y'all remember those days? Yeah. Yeah, you remember them now? Those sucked. So quit complaining about Kendall Browse all the time. Y'all want to go back to Dan Eno's call in place too, where we'd line up one wide receiver out of the backfield and try to run pass plays on third and 12? Nope. Didn't think so. So y'all continue to bitch and moan. But recognize what we have and be thankful that our offense actually gives us a chance to win a damn football game. You know, Pittman's taken Arkansas from being laughingstock of the SEC to being ranked in the top 10. You know, before he was our coach, quarterbacks were horribly coached. The O-line was a joke. We didn't have def- we didn't have a linebacker play. Our D-line was invisible, and we tried to run awful fake punts all the time, and our DBs were awful. 
Pittman, Odom, and Bryles have done one hell of a job here, and it's only year three. You can point the blame at whoever you want to, but it isn't on any one person. Here at Arkansas, you all know it. We win and lose as a team, and everyone on the team has improving to do. Players and coaches all the way down to the daggum water boys. The season's not over. We play 12 games for a reason. Aspiration for the for the season, we're 10-2, and 9-3, and three, and 8-4. and four. And are all three still achievable? I think you all can answer that. Yes. Hell, on Saturday, or after Saturday, I feel more convinced that we're going to beat Mississippi State and BYU and other teams like that on the road. Than, or I'm more confident that we're going to beat them than I was heading into the A&M game. And also, we got a big opportunity to shock the world on Saturday and honestly shock ourselves as a fan base and break a 15-year losing streak. KJ and the boys are going to be ready on Saturday. This team's got to respond, and hopefully the team responds better than the fans did. All right, now moving on to the second segment of this week's episode. Like we do normally, we're going to recap the AM game. You know, where I was sitting at, I was sitting with some buddies of mine and my girlfriend. We were sitting on the Arkansas sideline at about the five-yard line, and you could just see when that ball hit the upright, it bounced straight up. And I swear, it, like I said earlier, it felt like an hour went by before that thing came down and hit the turf. I just couldn't believe that. Not because of the field goal, but just – the fact that we were the better team in loss is why this one hurt so hurt so bad. I think I'd rather root for North Korea than Texas A&M, and I'm being dead serious on that. I'd rather root for Kim Jong-un than Dude Perfect, a Yell leader, or Jimbo Fisher, or Zach Calzada with a broken leg. I don't know. A&M did not beat us. We gave them this one. They made us pay for our mistakes more so than we made them pay for theirs. To put it in perspective... Hogs had 415 yards total offense, and them at 343. Hogs ran for 100, or excuse me, Hogs threw for 171 yards, and them threw for 151. Hogs ran for 244, and them ran for 192. Arkansas had 24 first downs, and them had 16. Arkansas was six for 15 on third downs, and them was four for 12. We were two for two on fourth down, and them didn't go for one on fourth down. We ran 73 plays to their 55. We had three penalties to, to their nine. We had time of possession advantage with 30 minutes and 34 seconds with the ball to their 29 minutes and 26 seconds. The one glaring stat, Hawks fumbles lost one, A&M zero. On numerous occasions, we only needed to execute one more play to win that game, and we couldn't. KJ on the goal line, giving up first down on second and 30. Bad snap by Ricky Stromberg. Hornsby flea flicker. Double pass with Jaden Hazelwood. Three absolute at least three absolute duck farts from A&M that were completions. Cam Little kick. The list goes on. We're the better team and couldn't get out of our own way. Everyone has something to learn from this, and A&M's good enough that it's not going to completely wreck the season. And yes, while I was pissed and hurt, it's in the past. We have to respond. We're moving on. We're 0-0 this week. We still have another opportunity, or we still have every opportunity in the world to finish 10-2, 9-3, and and finish the season strong. You know what we normally do with our positive takeaways on both sides of the football than areas of improvement. Positive takeaways. Offensively, it's hard to even talk about the positivities of this game due to the hurt of the loss. But once again, our offense surpassed the 400-yard mark of total offense. And outside of one fumble, KJ was great, like he always is, extending numerous plays, escaping pressure, picking up hard-earned yards and first downs. He accounted for 276 all-purpose yards, three tutties, and there is yet to be a football team that could stop us from running the football. 
there hasn't. This will be our biggest test come Saturday, but so far hasn't been a team that can keep us under 240 on the ground. When the Hogs just got north and south running the football, they really couldn't stop us. And it was good to see Dominic Johnson back, but we, we have five legitimate options to run the football. Rocket, Dom, KJ, A.J. Green, and DeBinion. At one point in the second half, I think Rocket might have gotten banged up because I didn't see him a lot until, I believe, our last drive because we were subbing in A.J. Green, Dominic, and Dub. But A.J. Green and DeBinion stepped up big time carrying the rock for us. And I know A.J. only had nine carries for 36 yards, but he's looking a lot better and a lot more comfortable at running back. That's making me really excited to see. But one thing about this offense is that our rushing attack has not lost our identity. I don't care who lines up in front of us, but we are one physical offensive football team, and we'll run it right at your neck. But I'm glad we got I, I'm glad we got Jaden Hazelwood and that he's able to find a way to get open because outside of him, Keytron's touchdown on the spot route, no one else could really even get open or find a soft spot in the zone for KJ to give him the football. My opinion, Hazelwood's our number one receiver. Dude flat out knows how to get open and catch the football. But what I am happy to see is that Keytron's getting more opportunities to do something with the football. Now, I think he'd be, he could be another weapon for KJ, and, it's, and, and he's a little bit of a preview into the future of what we're going to have at receiver. From you know, a 64-yard bomb last week to his ability to create separation and take off and score on his touchdown this week, I'm excited to see how we're going to continue to use him in the offense and what his role is going to be like going forward. But lastly, for the positive takeaways on offense, I love our tempo. We need to continue to use it. It really showed Saturday how well-conditioned our offense is, with the offensive line being the most impressive, in my opinion. Yes, I love tempo. I like it a lot because you can really keep the defense on your he- on their heels, but we can't do anything about defensive players faking injuries. I got into a little bit of a jawing match with an A&M fan because he tried to tell me that I should focus on the safety of the game when I watched A&M defender after A&M defender just fall down, wait for the trainer to come out and get them, and they'd pop right back up, walk off the field in their own power, and then come back on the field two plays later. I don't know how the rules committee is going to come up with something to stop that, but they have to because I thought Ole Miss was the worst last year. A&M topped that on Saturday, and that's saying something. All right, positive uh, takeaways defensively. Yes, there were some mishaps defensively. There's going to be some every game, so let's clear there on that to begin with. But this was by far the best defensive game we played all season. And we know our defense isn't that good, and our secondary is damn near the worst in all of college football, Division One through D3. Yet A&M only mustered 343 yards of total offense and 17 offensive points. I don't care who it is. You should win a football game holding the other team 17 points. Having Slusher back was huge. So earlier in the game, I'm sure most of y'all saw A&M start to try to run a, a speed option with Max Johnson and A-Chain. They ran it to Slusher's side one time. That was the last time they ran to his side. You know, amidst all the trouble in the secondary, you know who hasn't been a problem whatsoever? Hudson Clark. That was me knocking on wood, by the way. He has quietly been one of the solid pieces of our secondary this season, and I hope he can continue this play. He hasn't picked up many penalties. He hasn't really been targeted as much as normal. He's played very well. I'm really happy for him. And yes, we didn't account for a crap ton of sacks, but we had three sacks, five tackles for loss, and six to seven quarterback hurries against a pretty good offensive line. You know, Max Johnson wasn't really impressive, in my opinion. He was 11 for 21. 151 yards passing and one touchdown that I thought was kind of a fluke to begin with. But that's not a solid performance in the SEC. Our defense played pretty well on him. Regardless, like I said earlier, our defense surrendered only 16 points, 16, 17 offensive points. That alone itself should win you about 90% of the games you play. Now for areas of improvement. 
seems like there's a ton, and I feel like this list list keeps growing each week. But offensively, we had our moments. We we had moments in the first and the fourth quarter, but it seemed to be that way the entire season. You know, we seemed to get up early in the first quarter, and the second and third quarter, our offense is just completely stagnant. What is rule number one? If you know me, I always ask, what is rule number one? Ball security. Ball security. It hurts to even be talking about this, but that's the second game in a row we fumbled inside the five-yard line. KJ's fumble, you know, him jumping over the line, I understand if it's maybe fourth and goal, third and goal. It was first and goal at the freaking five. You know, and a lot of a lot of fans are going to say that's why we lost the game. I'm not going to say that's why we lost the game, but it didn't help. We were up, what, 14-7 at that point. We scored 21-7. That's a big momentum shift. Like I said earlier, it's a second straight game. We fumbled inside the five-yard line. The Missouri State game, I'll tip my hat to that linebacker. He got low and got his head on the football. This was an unacceptable play by KJ. If it was Malik Hornsby and he tried to jump over the line, sure, I get it. You know, Malik's Malik. He's not, very, not as experienced as KJ, but... I don't expect that from KJ. No one on our team is Cam Newton. No one on our team is Christian McCaffrey and, and is going to clear an offensive line, and especially from the five freaking yard line. Oh my God. Another thing that was frustrating, I felt like Rocket ran down the AM defender and stopped his forward progress, and the play should have been blown dead, but it wasn't. That's beside the fact. I'm not going to say our snapping is an area of improvement, but I can't remember the last time Ricky Stromberg had a bad snap. That one bad one he had Saturday backed us up just enough for that field goal to hit the top of the upright. That's all I'm going to say about that. As much as I want Malik Hornsby to succeed, his packages have just got to go. They're not it. Every time he steps into the football game, the defense knows he's getting the football. Hell, I'm okay with the speed sweeps or short routes to him from time to time, but when we brought him into the game, we were driving down the field, and we went, we run three straight plays to him. You know, I understand one, maybe two, but three? We got first down moved the chains, brought him in, ran through straight plays, and drive was over. Stalled out in about less than a minute. Also, the last one was a reverse pass or some flea flicker type action. It's not it. It's too cute. And on Browse tenure, we've run what seems like at least 10 reverse passes. Only one has worked, and it went for a whole 12 yards. It was last year against Texas A&M. Other than that, they've never worked. I'm okay with Malik playing a couple snaps. I really am. But I only think we need to play him if we need to spark offensively. And at the time on Saturday when we played him, we did not need a spark. And I touched on it a little bit. And while I love Bryles, and I'll defend him all day long, we all know he has a tendency to get cute with his play calling, and it happened again Saturday. I'm, t- I'm tired of these mishaps or these, these head-scratching play calls happening over and over. This really can't happen Saturday. And I personally am completely against trick plays because I believe the only reason trick plays are ran is if the team running them believes they can't beat the defense straight up. And I do not want to send that message to the team we're playing against. Keep it simple. Establish a run like we know how to. Stay ahead of the chains. Put more emphasis on north and south. Defensively, while it was our best defensive game of the year, our tackling still hasn't improved, and we didn't do our offense any favors. Max Johnson's touchdown to Evan Stewart. Malik Havis, turn your freaking head. This happened to you last year at LSU, where Musmeyer, Nussmeyer, or whatever the crap his name is, threw a deep ball to a tight to his tight end in the end zone, and all you had to do was turn around and literally the ball gets stuck in between your face mask. I understand that defensive back is probably the hardest position to play in football outside of quarterback, but if you're beat by the wide receiver, I know your first instinct is just to catch it to the wide receiver. You don't want to get burned that bad, but look at him in his eyes. You're always taught if you're beat, look at look at the 
wide receiver's eyes. When his eyes start to look up, the ball is in the air. Like I said, I know your first instinct is to catch up to the wide receiver. But then you put yourself at even more of a disadvantage trying to, trying to defend a pass you can't see when you don't turn your head. If Chavis turns around, ball literally lands in his lap. In the end zone, Hogs had the ball at 25 going the other way, and it's still 14-0. to Biggest gut punch of the night, in my opinion, was without a doubt giving up a first down to AM on a second and 30. Second and 30, and wasn't even on a go route or like a, you know, a seam route or a deep post. It was on a freaking drag route to their best wide receiver. Granted, he hadn't done much all night, but still, you got to know where he is. In my opinion, some of that's coaching, but we'll touch on that in a second. But guys, come on, come on. That first down they got led to them kicking the field goal, get, led to them kicking the field goal to get them 23 points. Not one time did I ever look over to one of my buddies. That was a good throw by Max Johnson. That dude was just, I, I know y'all have seen the memes on, on Twitter of Patrick Mahomes saying F it, Tyreek down there somewhere. That's what Max was doing. But he was throwing it to the middle of the field, which seemed like multiple third downs. We'd blitz, get pressure on him. He'd just say, screw it, caught that left guard back and just throw that ball in the middle of the field. It magically fell into their hands. Our D-line got pressure when we needed it. It just felt like every time he threw up a 50-50 ball, mostly on third downs, they came down with it. It's just frustrating. comes down to our coverage, but it comes down to the want to and the dog in you and that flat-out want to go get the ball. We have to win more of these. Lastly, tackling. I know it's easiest to blame Simeon Blair, but our team in its entirety has got to do better in the open field about tackling. There's a reason why Simeon Blair was a backup behind Jalen Catalan. Yes, yes, it was a little bit better than last week. But these have got to stop. You know, A-Chain tore us up on the ground because we couldn't tackle him in the open field. I say special teams, and I'm not talking about Cam Little. I will not sit here and put the blame on Cam Little. He's only a sophomore. He's done wonders for us, and he's won us plenty of, plenty of games in his time here. On a collegiate field, that field goal clears the right upright and goes in. And, yes, we're up 24-23. And I do think our defense gets a stop, and we're sitting here at 4-0, and game day is here. Cam Little was my kicker. 24 hours of the day, seven days a week, and this loss is absolutely not on him. If anyone puts the blame on him, it's on site. I'll go seek you out. But what can improve is our punting. I, I've talked about it, I think, every week. I'm tired of Max Fletcher punting the football. He finally had one punt inside like the 10-yard line. Other than that, it's like a 30-yard punt each time. I don't know what happened to Reed Bauer, but Max Fletcher must be looking like Sam Irwin Hill out there in practice from 2014 season because I trust Pittman to put the best guys on the field, but I just don't think Max Fletcher's our best punter. But any, who knows? I could, he could prove me wrong this week. But like I said earlier, we win as a team, we lose as a team. The entire team, top to bottom, has improving to do. This football team has been extremely productive in the first and fourth quarter of the season, but our second and third quarter production has been the polar opposite. And I believe that Arkansas has been outscored 44-10 to 10 in the third quarter of the season which comes down to coaching and, and making adjustments at halftime. And, you know, another area of coaching that – let me go back. I, I, I don't question our coaching a whole lot. I really don't because they've done an amazing job. But one thing I did question was how I, how I talked about the second and third earlier. Why do we not know where Anaya Smith is? That was – oh, that was such a gut punch. We, we had just come up with a sack. I think Landon Jackson had just sacked Max Johnson to make it second and 30. And then we give up like a 35-yard first down on a track. That Oh, my gosh, I'm getting a headache thinking about it. And just keep them in front of you at that point and just keep them out of field goal range. This week, as we all know, is another season-defining week. I feel like each game from now until the end of the season 
is going to help define our season. It's going to be a test. Alrighty, previewing Alabama. Before we get into it, they don't need much of an introduction. And some people think he's better this year than he was last year. Sam Pittman talked about that in his press conference yesterday. Now for Will Anderson, he's Mel Kuyper's number one overall prospect. He absolutely de- decapitated Traylon Burks last year. Probably going to be the only defensive player even considering the Heisman Trophy voting this season. But this Alabama team doesn't have quite the established receiving core that they've had in years past with you know, Jameson Williams, or Jameson Williams, and John Mechie last year, years before, they had Jerry Judy, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, Henry Ruggs, et cetera. They don't have proven guys like that this year. They still have, you know, in no way, shape, or form am I saying that their wide receivers aren't good because they're extremely talented. They'll definitely be relying more on the run game than they have in the past. Passing-wise, I touched on him earlier. If you don't know who Bryce Young is, just turn off the podcast. Almost surely a top three pick in this year's NFL draft. Young is 83 of 121 passing. He is dynamic to say the absolute least. Bryce Young, though, is smaller than most quarterbacks sitting at six foot, which leads to him rushing outside the pocket more to make throws. And I think he honestly prefers it because he doesn't have to worry about seeing over a tall offensive line. But outside of RPOs or design quarterback keepers, he really doesn't like to run or get hit that much because being the smaller guy, having the smaller frame that he is, hits will take a toll on him over the course of a game and the season. But rushing-wise... Bama's got four running backs with over 100 yards rushing this season, kind of like how we were last year. Three of the four have 20-plus carries. RB1, Jace McClellan, he's got 29 carries, 245 yards on the season, two touchdowns. It's about an eight-yard average. Pretty impressive. RB2, Jameer Gibbs. Jameer Gibbs is honestly who I think is their best running back due to his ability to catch the football as well. He's a transfer from Georgia Tech, so he'll be linking up and playing against his old teammate, Jordan Dominic, this Saturday. He has 25 carries for 172 172 yards, and no rushing touchdowns. Jamarian Miller, 20 carries, 146 yards, and two touchdowns. And Roy Dell Williams, 17 carries, 104 yards, and one touchdown. Yeah, so definitely a committee approach for the Tide here, but I expect McClellan and Gibbs to probably be their two main bell cows at running back. Bill O'Brien is their offensive coordinator, former head coach of the Houston Texans. He loves to use both these guys at the same time, either both in the backfield or their motion gives out to the slot to get him matched up on a linebacker, maybe even a nickelback. Bill O'Brien did this a lot in his second-to-last season in Houston, where they played Kansas City and, I believe, the AFC championship game. He used Duke Johnson and Carlos Hyde out of the backfield on almost every down. But receiving-wise... Bama's got six guys with 10-plus catches on the season, and here they are. Treshawn Holden, 15 catches, 214 yards, about 14-yard per catch average, and four touchdowns. He leads the tight in receiving yards and touchdowns. He's 6'3", 215 pounds, a long athletic receiver. They like to throw him 50-50 balls in the red zone. Jameer Gibbs, I know we just talked about this, but he's also leads their team in catches, second on the team in yards, second on the team in receiving touchdowns. This just kind of proves he's their do-it-all guy. That's who I believe they're going to try to get get the ball to the most. He gave Texas problems. Nobody could cover him. He was Bryce Young's favorite target in the middle of the field on late-down situations in clutch moments of that game. Ja'Cory Brooks, y'all might have heard of him. He's a returner. He had ten catches, one hundred seventy-nine, or he has ten catches for one hundred seventy-nine yards on the season, almost an eighteen-yard average, and two touchdowns. There's some games where Ja'Cory Brooks isn't even heard of. Hell, he might not even play. And then there's other games he busts onto the scene. 
Last year, whenever Jamison Williams left the Auburn game due to targeting, Ja'Cory Brooks stepped up big time in the second half. The game-time touchdown, hell, he in the Texas game, you didn't see him at all until the end of the game where him and Jameer Gibbs were the only ones, make, only ones making catches for Alabama. Then Jermaine Burton, who some of you may know he played at Georgia last year, excuse me, that's probably one of the biggest surprises in the offseason last year was him entering the transfer portal at Georgia after being one of their top receivers on their national championship team on the national championship team. He has great speed, but he's only really a deep ball, vertical threat, because he struggles to get open in short yardage situations against man-to-man coverage. He has 12 catches for 155 yards and two touchdowns. The other two that we're going to name are Kobe Prentice, 12 catches, 119 yards, no touchdowns, and then Cameron Latou. Latou is their tight end, more used as a safety valve for Bryce Young. He'll just waltz on over into the flats, and if nothing's there, Bryce will look at throw it to him. He had a big game against the Hogs last year. He has 10 catches for 106 yards and no touchdowns this year. So yes, there won't be just one or two guys that Young will get the ball to like he has in the past, but he likes to spread it around. But Treshawn Holden, Jameer Gibbs being who probably the Hogs will kill him the most. Also, Alabama's only, only allowed four sacks all season, and sure, some of it could be a testament to Bryce Young's mobility, but still, they have a solid offensive line unit. They return a lot of experience from last season. They have two of the top 10 guards, according to Mel Kuyper, and Emil Ikior Jr. and Javion Cohen. And it's going to be another big test for the Hog front seven, which I do have faith in that we'll be able to get pressure on Bryce Young because I feel like the only way that Texas was able to have success and kind of level out the Bama offense or level out any mismatches that the Texas secondary had against Alabama skill position players is that they blitzed all the time. But we'll touch about what I think the Hogs need to do in a second. Defensively, it's going to be the best front seven the Hawks will play all season. The only other team I'd say would be just as good as them as Georgia and think they'll go to war if we don't play them again. But Will Anderson, send Dallas Turner on both sides of the ball, which, hell, if Drew Sanders hadn't gotten hurt, then we might <laughs> Arkansas might be playing against Drew Sanders this, this Saturday. But thankfully we have him. Alabama's forced one turnover this season, but they do have 12 and a half sacks on the year, and they make life pretty hard on opposing quarterbacks. Somehow, Bama gets away with PIs. We've seen it. They get away with more PIs than any team I've ever seen. They also get away with a lot of roughing the passers. They'll tattoo quarterbacks after they let the ball go and nothing gets called. Hopefully, to combat this, I hope we keep Dominique Johnson in to chip block against Will Anderson or double-team him and maybe give Luke Jones a hand because the last thing I'd want for a season to be put in jeopardy if Will Anderson gets a free run at KJ's backside. Henry Tuatua and Jalen Moody, man, the inside linebacker spots for Bama, and they fly all over the field. Honestly, can maybe play safety. They're pretty mobile. Tuatua is ranked as the sixth-best inside linebacker prospect, according to Mel Kuyper, and he is five spots behind Drew Sanders, who is at that Uno spot. The Tide do have a great secondary. Dwight McLaughlin's former teammate Eli Ricks transferred from LSU to Bama this year, but their top cornerback might have the coolest name, in college football, Mr. Kool-Aid McKinnistry kind of rivals Dakota's Crawford up there in Nebraska. But Alabama safeties Brian Branch and Jalen Battle anchor the tide on the back end, and they're also ranked number three and four on Mel Kuyper's big board of prospects at safety for the upcoming draft. There was a one-position group that won't be tested this Saturday for Arkansas, as Alabama's who they are for a reason, and Nick Saban's going to have his boys ready to go. But we've shown the ability to go toe-to-toe with them before, and I believe All 
All right, to cap things off, my final thoughts and keys to victory for Saturday against Alabama. The Hogs, we gave the game to A&M, which leads to the main key for the game for the Hogs, players-wise and coaching-wise, which is to play clean. Yes, this seems almost cliche at this point when you talk about the Hogs and playing against a team like Alabama, but as we've seen the past two weeks, Arkansas is perfectly capable of snatching defeat right out of the jaws of victory. Our players and coaches understand how small the margin for error is this weekend. And yes, while the Hogs did extremely well in the penalty department this weekend, only having, I believe, is our season low in penalties, a three, we have to have a similar performance this weekend. It's The Hogs were minus one of the turnover margin Saturday, which is arguably the biggest play of the day. I don't want to talk about that anymore. It almost goes without saying, but turnovers hurt. We want to continue to control time possession and lean on opponents, wear down a defense with a rushing attack. We absolutely have to capitalize on every scoring opportunity we get. And like I said earlier, this is a similar key for the coaches as well. Kendall Browse is one hell of an offensive coordinator, but he definitely likes to get ahead of himself play calling-wise. Just keep it simple. Alabama defenses are known for being extremely fundamentally sound and disciplined and give themselves that identity in college football for probably the last 10 to 12 years. We've established ourselves as a physical football team that can move the football on anyone, so damn it, stick to the effing identity we have and cut the shit on trick plays. If for some ungodly reason we see a trick play on Saturday, I assume that Kendall Bryles will probably get the Brandon Allen treatment in terms of his vehicle. Defensively, we talked about secondary almost too much. Are we thin? Yes. Are we talented? Yes. While we brought more pressure on the quarterback this year than we normally ever have, probably as a Razorback team since Houston Nutt, it's led to us playing a lot more man-to-man, which has worked extremely sparingly. But So in my opinion, blitzing straight up the top over the center through A-gaps became ineffective. It needed adjustments, which also never came. Odom's going to have to dial up some tricky blitzes to get pressure on Bryce and just make him as uncomfortable as possible. He hasn't been on as good on the road this season. Production on the road is better than a lot of quarterbacks' productions at home. But this is the only way that Texas made a life hard on on Bama and their offensive line. They brought more than just the initial three to four from, from each play at different angles. And this is what A&M did last year when they beat them. This is what Auburn did last year when they almost beat them. This is what Georgia did last year when they beat them. And the main initiative was just to make life really, 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 really hard on Bryce Young. And it worked because Bryce Young doesn't like to get hit. He'd rather slide down the backfield than take a hit. I was rewatching the national championship game the other day. What Kirby Smart did that I loved is he he didn't just bring linebackers. Sometimes he'd bring two backers, drop Jordan Davis, bring the ends, and then maybe bring a safety. He just he brought blitzes from different angles, and it made it hard for the offensive line group of Alabama to pick up on that, call out blitz coverages and things of that nature. And it confused Bryce Young, made him uncomfortable, led to him throwing like two to three interceptions in that game, which was a big difference maker. Speaking of turnovers, I think the Hogs are going to force one Saturday. I'm very surprised we didn't force one this past Saturday. But if we're able to for- force a turnover, we have to capitalize offensively. I cannot stress that enough. The Tide are primarily going to run man-to-man defense and just constantly bring pressure. This is going to be our wide receiver's biggest test this season, being able to create separation, play through the PI that we know won't get called and make and make contested catches. And along with that, we have to be secure with the football. Bama's known for punching football out, forcing turnovers. We can't shoot ourselves in the foot that way Saturday either. Cage is going to have to get rid of the ball quick. He was able to do that last year. I think he threw for over 300 yards on him. But Alabama struggles with dual-threat quarterbacks due to their ability to run, and I think they're about to play the best one they played all season 
on Saturday and our boy KJ, the dog from Sardis. Last year, we showed we can move the ball on Bama, and we proved to ourselves this year that we can really move it on anyone no matter what defense we play against. So we just got to keep the physical mentality to us, take the physicality to Bama. In my opinion, I feel like a lot of teams, whenever they play Alabama, they try to run cute, cute stuff and trick Alabama and try to force them into busted coverages instead of just going right at them. You know, once we went down 14 nothing last year, whenever we started having successes, when we attacked Bama vertically, whenever we attacked their cornerbacks, because what a lot of people think is Alabama's strength, being their DBs and their constant pressure, honestly can be a chink in their armor. They, when you score on Alabama, you don't put together long drives. You, you will score on them with big plays. Texas was able to hit some big pass plays on them. We did last year. Let's say I don't think they played anybody close other than Texas this year, but you all get what I'm saying. And, yes, I feel like I've repeated myself a ton, but there's not been a team that can stop us on the ground. And while Bama's going to do everything they can to do so, I believe they're going to sell out on the run and try to make K.J. beat us through the air again. They're going to try to make some of our receivers step up and beat them like Traylon was able to have success against their secondary last year. All in all, Bama's the best team we're going to play all season, without a doubt. As long as we don't stop ourselves with out-of-pocket play calling, penalties, missed tackles, turnovers, or giving up big plays, and we're 100% going to have a chance to win the football game and do what I said that we need to set out to do to cure all the hate and all the flack we've been catching all week from our own fan base. Just win Saturday. In order for that to happen, a lot's going to have to go right, but I believe it can. This football team's got revenge on their mind. Time to go out there and take it. All right, well, that wraps up this week's episode of Views from the Hill. Once again, I really appreciate all the love and support you guys are giving the podcast. It's made this journey a lot of fun. If you could, give it a good review on Spotify. I'd really appreciate it. But I do think Arkansas has what it takes to win this weekend. We were only a touchdown away last year, and I think our team is better this year, and we get Bama at our place. And sure, we might be coming off of a loss, but that might just be what the boys needed. You guys think we're going to win Saturday? Only time will tell. Next time we see each other, hopefully, we're 4-1 heading into Starkville.